1: Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
0: Joining us on the program is the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Andrew Shear, who according to national polling, if an election were held today, would be the prime minister of this country, or well, prime minister elect by the end of the day. Mr. Shear, good to have you back. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on the show again. And Sorry, it took a little bit longer to confirm this uh, appearance.
0: <laughs> well, you're a busy guy, and uh, and I'm persistent, so <laughs> we usually work things out. Well,
1: credit to you for doing that. Thanks for uh, re- reminding us. Yeah, I'm well, very you, happy you,
0: to be on the show. You can count on that. Your uh, your uh, your your antagonist there, Mr. Trudeau, has been invited for the last four years, but other than a sort of a marginal moment of interest from the PMO, he's managed to avoid this program studiously. <laughs> Well, I can
1: commit to coming back on as Prime Minister in the future.
0: (laughs) Well, good. I'll hold you to that. Why did you remove Michael Cooper from the Parliamentary Justice Committee when he apologized for personally insulting Mr. Faisal Khan Suri? And and are you considering expelling Mr. Cooper from the Conservative Party Caucus?
1: Uh, No, we're not. And and no, I'm not. Uh, I believe that uh, Michael is an honorable uh, person who uh, took a responsibility for for what he did at committee, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, the matter is closed. Uh, we did, you know, in terms of uh, removing him from the committee, we did. I did make the the decision that, based on the context of, of uh, the appearance and the sensitivities around the uh, the tragedy that happened in Christchurch, that quoting from the uh, the perpetrator of that tragedy was was inappropriate, especially given the. the, the, the the the, the dynamic at the committee but as far as any further steps i think that michael has done the right thing and he's apologized and he's taken responsibility for what he's done and uh
0: and i think it's uh the the, the matter is closed in that respect based on the follow-up on the question on michael cooper is i know i'm a conservative commentator there are some of us in this country not as many as there should be but we are you know, we, we look at the world through a, through the conservative prism, and more and more Canadians appear to be doing that. If you look at what's happening with provincial elections and you look at the national polling. So what support do you think I deserve and those of us who are conservative supporters deserve? Because we're constantly under some level of attack.
1: Well, you deserve a, a tremendous amount of support. And I gave a, a speech the other day where I was talking about the, the danger in painting an entire uh, mainstream political movement with the the same brush and tarring uh, people like you and me and others who stand up for conservative uh, principles with with the actions of of a very small number. Uh, It's something that certainly doesn't happen on the other side of the equation. There are people who uh, subscribe to very left-wing, big-government socialist views that that do hateful and evil things, and uh, I would certainly never hold uh, Justin Trudeau or uh, Jagmeet Singh, responsible for, for the statements or actions of a small number of, of, of individuals who do uh, unacceptable things on on that side of the spectrum. So I think it's very important that we don't allow people to demonize those who are critical of Justin Trudeau on a number of different policies, whether it's uh, maintaining control over our borders, uh, whether it's, uh, it's the way he's been dividing Canadians, uh, there's 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 space for legitimate debate, and, and the types of critiques and analysis that you do, that I do, in the House of Commons uh, is very vital to democracy, and we happen to be on the on the right side of these issues.
0: Well, I think so, and, and if, if, if Mr. Trudeau has an issue, or if people on the left have an issue, they're always welcome to come on the program, and they're welcome to make their points, and they're welcome to get into a QA. It's just that, you know, I am not going to back off just because they're because they, they they want to throw accusations around. Let me ask you about this. Justin Trudeau accepted that Canada committed genocide following the release of the report by the Commission on Murdered Missing Indigenous Women and Girls. He didn't at first. But then in Vancouver he said, and I quote, We accept their findings, including that what happened amounts to genocide. What's your response? What's your reaction to Mr. Trudeau's statement? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first, let me start off by saying that uh, my, uh, my our, our hearts and our and, and our sentiments go out to the victims of uh, in the, that and the victims and their families who came forward in this uh, inquiry. Uh, it was uh, very moving to to hear the testimony of people who lost uh, daughters, mothers, wives, sisters. Um, I believe that the, the the tragedy that has happened to this vulnerable section of our uh, society is its own thing. I, I don't believe it falls in uh, to the category uh, to the definition of uh, of, of genocide. It, it is its own tragedy that that uh, this report has put forward very some very specific recommendations that I think we can make progress on. To, uh, to protect people who are, uh, you know, at risk of of, of of either being murdered or being abducted or being trafficked, and uh, and so I think that we need to be very careful with which terms we, we use. Uh, th- these words have meanings, and the word term genocide brings up a whole host of considerations and ramifications that, uh, that that are very very specific in its application. And I don't think that we need to uh, to, 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 to 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 use that label for this particular incident, uh that is its own thing. It is its own tragedy. It stands on its own as something that politicians need to take seriously.
0: Of course. And and there's no question that there's tremendous empathy and concern and uh and a need to know what's going on and what happened. And the the people take responsibility, but the word genocide is one that brings with it a great deal of responsibility, particularly when you point the word at successive governments of your own country. Um Mr. Scheer, well, exactly. why do you...
1: Exactly, and, and I, I point, if I could, I would point, you know, and you're, you're exactly right, and uh, when when I think of the uh, former liberal senator and former general, uh, Romeo Dallaire, who, who witnessed the Rwandan genocide firsthand, and, and he has come out and stated uh, that he does not believe that uh, the term applies in this situation, uh, I would certainly uh, defer to his expertise and his judgment on this.
0: And we know that Mr. Trudeau in 2016 in Parliament refused to vote... Uh, an emotion that that would have defined ISIS and their horrific actions as genocidal, and uh, it, without the dictionary definition, what ISIS did certainly would have appeared to have been genocidal, and uh, and 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 many times over.
1: Well, I certainly can't understand why he is, uh, why he was uh, so reluctant, and uh, why he refused to use. Uh, that term, uh, when we're looking at, uh, you know, Yazidis being wiped out, when we're looking at Jews being wiped out, Christians, uh, moderate Muslims, uh, when we're looking at gays being pushed off of buildings, uh, all uh, because of, uh, uh, of, the, of, of the actions of, of, of ISIS. Uh, I don't know why he wouldn't refuse to use it in that term, uh, but yet uh, in this situation he seems quite willing to, to uh, accept that Use of the word. So, again, if he if he agrees to come on the show, maybe you can ask him. But uh, again, shows that this prime minister's judgment just doesn't seem to uh, just doesn't seem to be consistency on it.
0: Why did you not attend the seventy fifth anniversary commemoration on Juneau Beach in France? You were invited by the PMO.
1: Yeah, so I, I was very honored to attend a D Day ceremony in Regina, in my riding. I was with the Royal Regina Rifles, and they held a, a very uh, a very simple but a very moving. Ceremony at the Cenotaph in Victoria Park in Regina, and I was uh, uh, very pleased to be able to be there with them. Um, my, uh, well, we, my my wife doesn't ask a lot of me, Roy. And a, a few months ago, she asked if I would be at home for uh, a very uh, important event in, in, in our family. Both her mother and her brother were being recognized by the University of Regina for their philanthropic work, and uh, they received honorary doctorates for the first time in the university's history that a mother and son were being recognized uh like that and a few months ago she asked me if i would block some time off on the calendar and as i said she doesn't ask a whole lot of me and i, I said i would and uh, when i got the invitation from the prime minister's office just uh, a few a few about 10 days or so before the uh the, the commemoration of d-day uh, we did offer to send our deputy leader lisa wright the um the prime minister's office turned that down so i was uh i was very honored to be able to recognize the day at home in regina with uh with the royal Regina Regiment.
0: okay that doesn't require a follow-up question i I, clearly the 75th anniversary of d-day is of massive significance to this to this country and to our very existence and the fact that you can run us for prime minister in a democratic nation. I don't know how much time you have left, but everything got kind of thrown upside down by what happened on the phone. Do you have a couple of minutes?
1: Yeah, okay. I, have, I have two or three
0: more, yeah. Okay. Well, let's have you hear your thoughts on Bill C-69 and C-48. They've gotten their way through the Senate, and now it's going back to Parliament. What are your thoughts about what happened in the Senate to each of them, and what are you expecting parliamentarians to do? Because ultimately, it's gonna be in the hands of Mr. Trudeau and his caucus.
1: Yeah, well, I wasn't surprised that the Senate uh, voted to reinstate Bill C48, the shipping ban, and uh, and to send uh, C69 ultimately proven send it back to the House. Uh, the Senate is controlled by liberals, uh, as much as Justin Trudeau likes to pretend they're not. They, he has a majority, a majority of uh, senators in the Senate are either appointed by him or appointed by previous Liberal prime ministers, and and they have shown time and time again. At the end of the day, they are Liberals. They, they may not sit in the Liberal caucus, but they certainly uh, either take their marching orders or think alike and uh, move in lockstep. So they're back in the House of Commons. Justin Trudeau has shown a complete um, lack of sensitivity to the, the, the damage that his policies ha- have been, ha- have been uh, having the effect in Alberta and Saskatchewan. The fact that uh, Bill C-69 is universally opposed by the energy sector, and by uh, premiers who have been fighting it. Uh, this, if Bill C-69 passes in the form uh, that it left the House in, uh, it, it'll, it'll be the end of pipelines in this, in this country. It, it, there's no certainty. It provides no guarantees for approvals. The, way too much political interference can be uh, imposed upon uh, an approvals process. So we're going to do everything we can to, uh, to defeat it in the House. At the end of the day, the liberals have a majority. I suspect it will pass. Uh, but we, we are committed to repealing it uh, should the Canadian people put their faith in us this October.
0: I'm going to be speaking with uh, Colin Craig in a couple of minutes, the president of SecondStreet.org, the think tank, and they found that in the just over the last five years, $196 billion in natural resource projects have been stalled or cancelled because of actions in Ottawa. $196 billion, Add that to $107 billion, that Frank McKenna told us, the deputy chair of the... Of uh, TD that uh, and a study they undertook, just to, just just because of the discount at which we sell our oil to the United States, our only customer. That's a third of our national debt right there? It's huge. It's huge. and
1: and it's not just an Alberta and Saskatchewan thing. Uh, there are so many jobs in Ontario. Uh, and eastern Canada, where uh, whether it's manufacturing into the supply chain, whether it's uh, people who work at, in head offices or in the financial sector, uh, this is a huge loss to our economy. And we have to remember, these big pipeline pro- proponents who have canceled projects in Canada or have had them vetoed by the government, they're not getting out of the energy sector. They're not getting out of the oil and gas business. They're just getting out of it in Canada. And they're making those investments in the U.S. and in South America and other countries around the world. And so that opportunity is, is, is leaving this country for other places. And I think it's a lot of this is being promoted. Uh, the, the opposition to these pro- projects are being stirred up by foreign-funded groups that get money from uh, big institutions from around the world. And I've made one of the key planks in my energy policies that – Advocacy groups who receive foreign funding will not be uh, given standing in approvals processes, so they can't use foreign funds to gum up our approvals process and delay these important jobs for our, these projects for our economy.
0: Good. I have one more question for you. I know you'll want to answer it. Interprovincial trade and your National Energy Corridor. Address those, please.
1: Yeah, so on uh, on the National Energy Corridor, in order to be able to get to a yes again in this country, in order to be able to be the country of, of yes and not always of no and blocks and, and, and cancellations, my idea is to have uh, a corridor going west and a corridor going east where different levels of government can work together to clear the way from a regulatory point of view to do the Indigenous consultations, to do the environmental review on a specific corridor that would run through various territories so that uh, we can take care of that on the front end and then project proponents would just have to meet the environmental standards and the safety specifications, and th- that, that could bring certainty. And it would uh, allow for natural resources. It would also allow for hydro from Quebec and Manitoba. So there's big, big potential there. And I recognize it's going to be uh, a lot of hard work to do all that, but we've done this in the past in our country, from the railways to the original pipelines to the St. Lawrence Seaway, and I think it's time that we have something similar for the next three or four generations. And when it comes to interprovincial free trade, you know this is one of those one things that really drives me crazy. To think that we live in a country where it's easier to sell a product to the United States than it is in between provinces—it uh, makes no sense to me. If uh, if I'm eating a steak in Saskatchewan from a from a processing plant that doesn't have federal uh, credentials, right. that state can't be sold in Manitoba. That doesn't make any sense to me. No,
0: it doesn't. So my
1: idea is to have a truly interprovincial provincial free trade deal that would uh, unleash a whole okay. lot of economic potential in this country.
0: Mr. Shearer, thank you for the time. I appreciate talking to you. Thank you so much.
1: Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Roy.
0: Bye-bye. Andrew Shearer, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, according to polling next prime minister of this country.